You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. As usual, it is a pleasure and a joy to be with you this morning for us to look into God's Word and see how His Word is still living and breathing and how He still wants to change us and shape us because He loves us and because He gave us Jesus that he has proven it in that act of giving us Jesus. Today we are one day behind celebrating the independence of our great nation, and we uh, do that every year, every year. It's a reminder of what many men and women and even children did in sacrificing to make it so that we could have the freedoms that we have to worship. Many coming to this location, this part of the world, in order to have the freedom to worship God in the way they believe the Bible instructed them. And so we've celebrated that in big ways in the midst of a time where there's much division and much heartache, much struggle, much heartbrokenness, I'm sure, by many of us. And there's much blaming that goes with that, and there's much accusations, many accusations and pointing of the finger, and many of us who just don't even know what to believe anymore when we read the media or watch and listen to the media because there's so many variations and so many stories and they all naturally have a bias to them. And so we're trying to figure out what to believe and what's going on and we pray for the people involved in the problems that we see in our country and in the world. We pray for our nation. We pray ultimately, hopefully, for God to be glorified through it all and for him to work a mighty work even here. We pray that God would bring our nation to its knees. And oftentimes we think that that's going to be by him bringing and building our nation back up to what we remember it to be or what we studied it to be in the history books. But honestly, I don't know how it's going to be. And none of us, we don't know how it's going to be that God will bring this nation back to the place in which he wants it. What we do know is that God has a purpose. What we do know is that God is sovereign. What we do know is that his purposes will not be overcome by any threat by anyone who seems to be against him or his people, that God is over all things of all time, of all nations. He allows things to happen at times that are difficult for us to understand, but we do know that we can trust him because he always, always, always fulfills his promises. And he has not necessarily promised that the United States will live on forever, but he has promised that his people will live on forever. He has not necessarily promised that we will be in this location forever, but he has promised that he will be with us forever if we believe in Jesus. And while there is not always hope in the news, while there is not very often hope in what we read and in the tragedies that are displayed before us in the 24-hour news cycle, there is always, always, always hope in Jesus. I was listening to one of the guys that uh, has been influencing me lately just because of his ability to understand the culture around us. And he made a statement in one of his many podcasts that I listened to, and he made a statement about the fact that he had been praying for revival. He's not even from this country. He'd been praying for revival in his nation, in the world. And he said, I don't know why I thought that revival would come in the midst of a time where God is being plentiful and abundant with us and where things are going well because historically God brings revival in times where there is despair and where there is heartache and where there is brokenness and where there is fracture. 
So while we hate the things that we see and we hate that our nation is fractured as it is, we can hope and pray that God might use these things to bring revival. And one of the ways that revival always starts is through prayer. It is the ultimate way that we see in the history books of how revival has started in different lands, including in our own country. And one of those ways is when the people of God recognize their own need for repentance in certain areas, that they are willing to go before God and say, whatever you want to do, do it, and we will submit, and we will lift your name. Help us to repent of our sin, reveal our sin, convict us of our sin. And while we had prepared, actually, as a staff, as we worked through sermon series, and this was one that we had worked through over a year ago, preparing just in the, the area of Scripture we would be in, the topics we would be covering, and we prepared it over a year ago, it is of God's providence that we would land here right now in this time, in this season. In fact, when COVID-19 became the thing it is, and when we shut down everything, we wiped the, the total map clean of all sermon series except for this one. It stayed in place not knowing what was coming. And we began to preach in Romans 8 and move all the way through Romans 8 into Romans 9. And had a last week, a a week in between, just to give you guys a breather, refreshment, where Tyler brought us a word from the Old Testament that was good for our souls. And now we step into the place that God has been preparing for us before the foundation of the world and in our minds and in our abilities and our part of it since at least over a year ago. And now we step into Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and on. And we've titled this One Nation Under God because... For us as Americans, we oftentimes can see that as much as we love our nation, as much as we think it is a good and probably the best nation to ever grace the face of the planet in so many ways, that it is also a nation that is hurting, that it seems to be being destroyed from the inside out. And we need to understand something as Christians, that while we live in this nation and we are to work for the good of this nation, we are ultimately a part of a greater nation that God calls his chosen people, that the New Testament refers to as the church. We've been grafted into God's chosen people who were chosen originally Israelites because they were chosen to bring together all the nations of the earth. And they did not fulfill what they were called to do. In fact, they pulled apart in so many ways and thought that they were the elite of the people instead of seeing that they were to be, as Abraham was promised, that through many nations would there be grace and mercy brought through his lineage. Instead, they pulled back and did not do what needed to be done. They did not repent of their superiority complex. They did not repent of their need to be out there making proselytes, making disciples. Instead of seeing those whom God saw with eyes of love and mercy, they saw them with eyes of disdain and derision. And I think, brothers and sisters, as one who has grown up among you, as one who has been in this area of the world, even when I moved away, I was still below the Mason-Dixon, a part of the South. I know some of you wouldn't call it the South. I get it. But I grew up in an area here where it is so hard to recognize the problems within us, the sinful tendencies within us, and we even blind ourselves to them. And we're going to see them addressed here in these next few passages of Scripture. In fact, I want to just let the scriptures pour over us, verse 11 through 18, and then I want to go back and I want to unpack this. I think that we need to submit ourselves to the Lord and ask this question as we go through before we read. Lord, where do I need to repent today? 
This is a question for every day. Lord, where do I need to repent today? Where do I need to turn away from the ways that are not in line with you and who you are and what you've done for us? And where do I need to step into your grace and mercy and walk more like Jesus? So Lord, before we step into your word, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, put us on display before yourself that you might point out to us and convict us of our sin, that we might see that as a mercy from you, that we might be overwhelmed with your grace, that you would love us so much to show us where we are not hitting the mark, where we are missing the mark, and where we might now turn back to you and find your mercy and grace to change us, to make us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. And we ask that in his name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, he says, after he's just talked about how you were dead in your sins, that we were just like everybody else, but now you've been made alive, that you've been brought into the faith, that it's not by anything that you have done, but because of what Christ has done for you, not a result of works, he says in verse 9, so that no one would boast but that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 11 then says, therefore, remember, key word. We've just been remembering all week, all day yesterday. But now remember that at one time, talking to the church, is at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Listen, this whole text is pointing out to those that he's writing to in Ephesus. He's pointing out to the Gentiles, to those who were not Jews, those who were not of the Jewish descent, they were not Israelites. He's pointing out to them that you need to remember some things so that you would be reminded of the place where you were before you met Christ, so that you can understand the value of what's happened since you've come to know Christ. And you can stop the divisions, you can stop the problems you're having by looking at people differently than you should, because in Christ we are one. That in Christ we are one nation together, a new nation. Let's just unpack this. Look at verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. Look, he's making clear that it's stated in the flesh. That you were born not of Israel, right? Called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Look at that. It's probably in your Bible, got quotes around it, called the uncircumcision, because that was a derision from the Jews. They were talking down to them, saying, you're the uncircumcised. You're the ones who are not God's people. 
You're not like us. You're half-breeds or you're outside of the family. You're not welcome here. It's a constant reminder for when even people who wanted to follow God that were not Jewish tried to approach the temple, there was a court for them, the Gentiles, and there was a wall between them and where the Jews would go in further, closer to the Holy of Holies where God's presence was signified. They would go in there and they would be separated by a giant wall. And there was this hostility between them. They were looked down upon. They were spoken down to. They were treated negatively because they weren't welcomed inside that fold. In fact, the Jews themselves weren't welcomed inside the Holy of Holies, yet they thought it was okay to not welcome in others in their own daily lives. We see that if you go back and see in Acts that Peter had a word from the Lord that overcame that, where he was able to go into the place of a Gentile which was even, it would have made him totally unclean, totally unacceptable by his own people. But God brought him to that place to recognize that in Christ, when he tore the curtain that divided the, up the people of God from God himself, when he opened that up, that in Christ's flesh on the cross, tearing down that curtain, he not only tore down that curtain, he tore down all the dividing walls of hostility. And that now in Christ, we have been united as one people. All those other things are gone. So here we see that, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Like he's saying, they're no better than you, but they talk down to you like they're better than you. They're not any better just because of what they do in their religious activities than you are. He says, but you were those people, Gentiles in the flesh, you were those people that were talked to, derided in that way. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Now here's seriousness, right? separated from him, not in relationship with him, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, to the Davidic covenants, to the Abrahamic covenants, to, to the, the covenants he gave all of his people all throughout the Old Testament, all these promises of a Savior to come. You, all of us, that includes us, we're all outside of that. At one time, remember, we're outside of that. We have no right to claim it. We have nothing in us that makes it okay for us to think it should be ours. We can never attain it. He says, remember these things, having no hope. Do you remember when you had no hope? Do you remember when you were out without God in this world? You probably thought nothing of it until the moment that the Holy Spirit brought conviction upon you and you had eyes to see finally your need for a Savior and you had him not. In that moment, probably where you were regenerated, God opened your heart and eyes to see your need for him. And you recognized the despair of your soul because of your sinfulness and your separation from Christ. Do you remember how that felt? That is the eternal state of everyone around us that does not know him. That was our eternal state until we met Jesus. Do you remember? We need to remember that every day. Remember what it was like to not have those things. Maybe you remember when you have been looked down upon at some point in time by those who thought they were superior to you. Do you remember how that felt? Do you remember being derided by anyone who was thinking they were above you and superior to you? I do. Do you remember feeling separated from Christ by your sin? Do you remember 
being alienated from the insiders. You might even still feel that now sometimes. In fact, in our churches, it's so quick that we get so connected inside, especially if we've known people for a while, that when new people come, they feel welcomed in the beginning, but they can feel like outsiders because we're so connected. And we have to be very careful to make sure we overstep those lines to bring them in, making room for them in our lives, not just room for them in our Sunday school classroom. Do you remember when it felt like you were strangers? Do you remember what it felt like to be outsiders to the people who seemed to have everything you wanted? When you had no hope because you were objects of God's wrath, unable to work your way into God's grace and recognizing that truth? Listen to what Romans 3.21 says to that. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. He's saying it's not abolishing all the law here. He's not talking about that in a minute. But he's saying apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, there's no distinction. We all deserve total annihilation. We deserve total condemnation. We deserve to be thrown into the lake of fire. There's no distinction between us. And we are justified by his grace as a gift. Talking to those who are in Christ. Through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. So do you remember this? Remember Gentiles. Remember church. You were at that time separated. Verse 13. But now. I love those words. But now. That's right. You were, but now in Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You were alienated. You were separated. You were without God, without hope. But now in Christ, you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. In his sacrifice on the cross in your place, you've been given access to God. You've been brought near to him. So much so that you're called a son. You're called a daughter. You have access unfettered to him, only fettered to Jesus. And through him it's possible. Through his blood spilled out for you, you deserved death because of your sin, death forever. But instead he gave Jesus who became our death for us so that we could be brought into the family of God. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off and now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Even though you were an outsider, even though you were looked down upon, even though you were derided or chastised, even though you were alienated by others, even though you could not change your status before men or before God, even though you could not overcome your sin, even though you were far from God and could not come to him, Jesus came to get you and bring you near to God. Praise Jesus. Lord, Thank you for Jesus. We have no hope apart from him, but in him we have all hope we need. In him everyone we know can find hope in Jesus. He came to seek you out. He came to save you, to give you total access to God. Even though you were his enemies. You say, I wasn't an enemy of God. Yes, we were enemies of him. If we were not doing everything for his glory and to draw near to him, then we were at odds with him. We were enemies of him. The scriptures are replete with references for us. Remember, that was us. We were enemies. But Jesus sought us out in order to bring us peace. 
and even to become our peace himself on the cross. This is radical reconciliation. This is, this is where, man, God is the only one who righteously can say, I have done nothing wrong. There's nothing in me that says I need to repent. There's nothing in me that I need to turn away from. I have done everything right. But you, me, we have continually turned from him. We have continually gone against him. We've continually robbed him of his glory. So we deserve nothing of him, yet he loved us so much that he sent Jesus. And Jesus willingly came to live the perfect life that we could not and have not lived, to die the death that we deserve, to then, to then overcome Satan and sin and death and hell in our place on the cross as our substitute sacrifice so that in his death we can find life eternal. That he declares us righteous and good. Even though we are not, He alone deserves the glory. He alone. That He came for us. This is radical reconciliation. For the one who has no reason to try to reconcile, but should alone be praised. The one who should always be worshipped. Instead, He's not the one just okay with reconciliation. He's the one that came and grabbed us up by the back of our necks, turned us to look at Him, and brought us to life as He gave us faith in Jesus, His Son. He alone deserves the glory. He is radically reconciling us to him when he's the one that was betrayed. He's radically reconciling us to him when he's the one that deserves to be repented to. And we do that in faith when we see him, but not until God calls us by his Holy Spirit. That's radical reconciliation. Do not let the word reconciliation be tainted by the media. Reconciliation is good. And it is ultimately good when it is found in Jesus because Jesus alone is our hope. Jesus alone is the one who can truly reconcile us for all eternity. And he is our example, but not only our example, he is truly our reconciliation. In him alone, by his blood, we've been brought near to God and so we have peace. He is our peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access, Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's all through him, all through Jesus. We have access, we've been brought near. One true nation under God. We have to say that it's a motto of our country. I love the motto. I was just teaching my kids. We sang the Star Spangled Banner like 15 times on the way home last night from watching fireworks. We listened to it from Beyonce to some country guy my wife likes. I don't know his name. Alan Jackson, maybe. All the way to the Gaithers, to the Air Force Academy. I mean, we listen to it. We love it. We love our country. I want our country to be healed. But ultimately, healing is going to be found alone in Jesus. And that alone will be the true nation. When all else is gone, the nation of God will stand. The people of God will be together as his people. And he will be our God. And he will walk among us. All because of Jesus. One true nation under God. This is radical reconciliation in Jesus. Our Prince of Peace. Look at verse 14 through 16. For he himself is our 
peace, who has made us both one. You hear that? He's made us both one, the Jews and the Gentiles. That means everybody. The Jews and everybody not a Jew. That's what the word Gentile means. Everybody else. We are all one. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Make sure we're clear here. This means he's talking about the ceremonial law, all the stuff that had to be accomplished, washing hands a certain way, only eating certain foods, not the moral law, because Jesus refers to that back in Matthew 5, 6, 7, right? Saying still do those things. Those are good for us. They show us how to live because it reflects who God's character is right? And these ceremonial laws talk about the holiness of God, that we, can, we have to try and try and try to be holy, 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 but you know what? We can never make it. Only a holy God can do these things for us, right? And so we see here that we see by abolishing the law of commandments that he's fulfilled them, that he's overcome them, that expressed in these ordinances, that he might create in himself, in Jesus himself, one new man in place of the two, Jew and Gentile, one new man in place of all people, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, in the cross, in the cross, Jesus, who is fully God, came to also become fully man. We were separated from God. But on Jesus' appearance, we recognize for the first time God and man put together in one person, fully God, fully man. And in that one person, we saw perfect unity between deity and humanity. And he did that so that he could bring us into that perfect unity. Not because we are perfect, but because he is. Not because we were overcoming, but because he overcame for us. And so he did this for us, that on the cross, he destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. In his death on the cross, he destroyed that hostility between us and God. That he took all the wrath we deserve, so all that hostility is gone now. He paid the price. He was sacrificed in our place. He endured the wrath that we would have endured for all eternity. He endured it all on the cross. And at the end, he said, it is finished. And we revel in that truth, do we not, church? We revel in that because that means there's now no condemnation for us anymore. And we love it and we sing about it and we talk about it and we pray about it and we, we revel in it. We love it. We also need to understand, though, that also in his death on the cross, Jesus destroyed all the hostility between us and them. You know that language? Us and them. We use that language sometimes. Sometimes we don't even think about using that language, but we use that language. We talk about us as whoever our group is at the moment and them, whoever might be outside of that group. Particularly in my growing up, it was us as far as the white people and them as far as the black people I remember growing up in. And we'll talk about it. We don't say it that way. We wouldn't put the hostility in between it, but we would say things like, you know, like, well, over there, those... Those are the folks you don't want to be around. You don't want to go that side of town because that's, that's where the, we hush it, the black people are. Or don't go over there because that's, a lot of Hispanics live there. Or don't go over to that part of town because you know, that, they're, they're rougher over there, the lower socioeconomic area, right? And so we would look on them with derision in our hearts, not even recognizing that it's derision. We would look on them in our hearts with racism, whether it be race towards socioeconomic or towards color of skin, and we don't even think about it. But I'm here to tell you that we see right here 
that Jesus reconciled us all to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. So if he's killed the hostility, then there should be no hostility in us towards others for whatever reason, ethnically, for whatever reason, socioeconomically, for whatever reason, because they just look different from us. There should be no hostility. And many of us will say, I don't have that hostility. I don't have that. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. I'm going to break it down a little further. Now it's going to get really uncomfortable. In Jesus, there is now one true nation under God, the Prince of Peace, destroying the dividing wall of hostility. He's reconciled us all to God and has made many people in Christ one people. So to God, there's only two kinds of people, those who are saved and those who are not. That's it. Okay, there's the sheep, see Revelation talked about, and the goats. Let me tell you something, brothers, sisters, the white people are not all sheep, and the black people are not all goats. And I've heard that language in this town since I've been moved back and when I grew up. This is not truth. The sheep are those who have been brought into the family by God sending his son to die with his blood, who was not white, by the way, right? He was a colored skin, darker than us. And he brought into the family everyone who would hope and believe in Jesus, no matter their skin tone, no matter their culture, no matter their dress, no matter what they talk like, no matter how they dance, no matter how, and it's okay to dance, by the way, Baptist friends, okay? No matter those things, he died for us all. And we say that, we preach it, we say it from the rooftops, we'll say it to our friends, we'll say it in our workplace, but then in our hearts we have things that we don't even recognize, as being against that, as causing hostility again. There were once divisions between us, but Jesus destroyed those divisions. The Tower of Babel, when everybody was separated, Jesus came to fix that, not to maintain it. There was once hostility between one people group and another, but Jesus came and destroyed that on the cross. He drank down all the wrath of God toward us and he destroyed all the man-made reasons for hostility between one man and another. If you're in Christ, those things do not exist anymore. You cannot live that way and say you're like Jesus in those moments. You cannot think those things in those moments and be like Jesus in those moments at the same time. He destroyed them, they're gone. He overcame them. You cannot speak those things and be like Jesus in those moments. Hear me right, I'm not talking political today. I'm not talking in a way that says that, that we have to do something because people cry out for it. I'm, doing, I'm talking about this today because God cries out for it in our hearts. He is saying here that we are one people. He's made peace on the cross. Who are we to do anything but obey and listen and love him for it and to revel in it and give him glory for it? That is our role, to glorify him in all things. Listen to these, Romans 10, 11 through 13. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. But I think, brothers and sisters, we shame people often, even in our own minds, if not outwardly. He says this, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And all of you would say, yes, I agree with that. Of course, black, white, yellow, red, doesn't matter. We'd all be saved. We call the name of the Lord. He's saying there's no distinction anymore. Not one that matters for hostility. 
1 Corinthians 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, insert black or white, yellow or brown, purple or, I don't know another color. I'm a guy, I don't I struggle with that. Slaves are free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. I don't know how our forefathers got it wrong. I don't know how those who were great speakers of the truth of God's word got it wrong, and so many have throughout the generations. Owning slaves, commending it, encouraging it. One of the reasons why I love Spurgeon so much is that in a day where he was threatened of life because of it, he refused to be okay with it. In fact, he came to America and he was told, if you come below the Mason-Dixon, we're going to wrap a rope around your neck. They were burning his books, the prince of preachers who preached the gospel through and through. I know we don't have to carry the weight of that ourselves because you may not have ever done that. But what I'm telling you is that there's still hostility in your heart at times because of socioeconomic status, because of color of skin, because of cultural differences, then we are really no different. Because Jesus says things like, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you hate someone in your heart, you've murdered them. So if you have hated someone or derided them in your heart and thought you were better than them, we're no different than the Pharisees. We're no different than those who commit murder and those who commit adultery in those same ways. We are condemned in our own right in that moment. And thanks be to God that now in Christ we have freedom from those things. Let us turn and repent and give it all away and let him be our hope. Let us be the church that it meant to be, to be the proclaimers of peace everywhere. That's what we see even here in chapter 2, verse 16, 17, and 18. Look at 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We are the mouthpiece of Jesus, of this peace. And we cannot have that mouthpiece speaking peace if we have derision in our heart towards someone else. We cannot truly be proclaimers of the gospel of peace if we harbor ill feelings, resentment, racism, all these things in our heart. It cannot be, brothers and sisters. And I speak to you as one who's being spoken to right now by the word. I've already proclaimed that I am a recovering bigot and racist. It is not an overcome in one day thing. My heart was changed in one day, but I am still repenting daily of sin in my heart in all fashions, including these. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. For us then, there's only one nation. For us then, it's the church, and we are ambassadors of Christ. And so now as ambassadors, let me ask some questions. I want you to listen closely to me as we bring it home right now. I'm preaching to you because I care about you and I love you. Just like God gave us this word, even to the Ephesians, and now to us because he loves us too much to leave us where we are. Because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, we have access to one Father by the saving work of our one Savior, which is now applied to us by his one Spirit. We, his one body, the church. 
So then how is it that we don't walk in that one spirit, seeing as God sees and acting for peace like Jesus? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do you hear what's after that? Do you remember what's after that? He says this, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. That's his reason. Here's the question that rings out in our hearts. But I'm not a racist. I don't treat anyone differently. I don't hate anyone or think less of anyone. Do you secretly not want to touch someone because of the color of their skin? Do you feel like you have to wash up after that, not just because of COVID? Do you talk about other ethnicities or socioeconomic classes in hushed tones when you say the name? Kind of like we talk about, she's got the cancer. We get quiet when we say it. We say the same thing about other people that we deride. Do you use that us and them language I referred to earlier? Do you use cultural differences as reasons for separation? You just say, oh, it's because they act like this or they, they, they dress like that and because they, they're like this, you know, they listen to this kind of thing. Again, did you hear the language? They. If they're in Christ, it's us. What if your child wanted to marry someone of a different race? or of a lower economic status. Your first thoughts on that, what rises up within you? We'll couch it or cloak it in things like, hey, I'm just concerned for how they're going to be treated. They're going to be treated poorly if they're an intermarried couple. And we use Bible language to talk about how you shouldn't yoke somebody together like that, which has nothing to do with race in that way. It's all about being yoked together with somebody who's of faith or not. Listen, if you're more, and you would never say this, but if it stirs your heart in pain or suffering more that your child would be someone of a different color and you're more concerned about that than you are just worried if that person is a believer or not, then there's a problem within you or I that needs to be repented of. We hide behind many covert justifications. But now, now is the time. Now is the time for radical reconciliation to the Lord for our sin. And then now is the time for us to radically be on the move to reconcile others to Jesus as well, regardless of these things. Now is the time as people of God to care so much about people that we will root out and seek out things that are to the detriment of others that are wrong. This is why we go to war, isn't it? This is why we stand up and say we're Americans and we're helping people to find freedom. Well, we're the church and we're here to help people find freedom in Jesus. This is our role. Despite all these colors, despite all these statuses, do we really love people the way God loves them? Do we see everyone the way God sees them? Because there's only two distinct people. Remember the saved and the lost. Everything else is a beauty of diversified culture, a beauty of diversified appearance that God has given us. You know, God is not, I hate this phrase because it's not true, and I used to say it, God is not colorblind. God created the colors around us. He loves the colors around us. He created diversity because it's beautiful. The only thing he hates is sin and those who continue in it to their death 
under the wrath of him, and he wants all to come to faith in Christ Jesus, his son. That's what he says. Only when we love people the way God loves them will we be able to truly become like Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost because he loves the lost. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body. Peace in your heart around other people. The peace in your heart when you think about those folks, them. So let us root out the racism in our hearts. Let's ask God to peer in and uncover it. And let us become the preachers of peace this world needs. Because that's our job. Our job is not to sit back and wonder what we can do or sit back and think we can't do anything. Our job is to be preachers of peace. That's what it says here in verse 17 when he says, He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus didn't just go and do that. He sent out his apostles to do that. He calls us out and says, Go and make disciples of all nations, of all people. That's our mandate. And if God can break down the dividing wall of hostility between us and him, then he can surely break down the dividing wall of hostility between us and the people around us. And actually, if you're in Christ, he's already broken it down. We just keep unbelieving. So let us repent of our unbelief and turn in faith to the one who has brought true peace, true reconciliation, and ask him to turn us into preachers of peace with hearts that reflect his heart. One nation under one God with one Savior, with one heart to save all people, to make all people his one people, his people. May our one great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, do this for all his glory and fame. Amen? Let me read a scripture over us as we leave. As we sing one more psalm before we leave. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So brothers and sisters, let us stop regarding anyone according to the flesh according to anything according to the flesh, whether they're circumcised or not, whether they're tainted or not, whether they're poor or not, whether they're a different color or not. Let us not regard anyone, no one. He says now, let us regard no one. That doesn't just mean the church people, but no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Thank you, Lord, for not counting our trespasses against us. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let us go and implore everyone on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. Let that be our prayer. Father, we need you because we cannot overcome these things we are not even aware of most of the time. Let us be convicted every moment that we say a thing that shows our heart to have sin in it for racism or for looking down and deriding others. Let us, Lord, be convicted in the moment a thought enters our mind that would, that would cloud our vision to see people the way you see them, with love and with grace and with mercy. And thank you, Lord, that you looked at us with that love and grace and mercy. We need you now. Our nation needs you now. 
This world needs you right now. We are divided. We are fractured. We are scared. We are sick. We are hopeless. But you bring hope in Jesus. We remember what it was like not to have hope, Lord. We know what it was like to be without you. We know what it was like to go through those things. We do not want to be there anymore. Because now in Christ Jesus, you have brought us hope in Christ by his sacrifice, by giving his blood on the cross, by dying in our place. Lord, help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Give us hearts, Lord, that are not our own, that you place within us. Take out those heart of stone out of those of us who do not know you yet. Put in a heart of flesh that we might believe in you. And then help us who believe in you. Help our unbelief. Help us to repent of our sin. Convict us. Reveal it. Lead us to repentance, Lord. Find hope and faith in you. We ask it all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus, as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.